Good morning, Grace Church. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. And when you find that, please stand with me to read God's Word. As you know, we're in the middle of a series within a series in our study of Matthew's Gospel on what it means to be sent by God to reach others for Christ. And we began in Matthew 9, verse 35, and we saw that um, as we're moving through chapter 10, but we've seen so far that Christ's compassion is what should motivate mission, and that it's based on His calling in our lives, and that He wants to display His character through us in order to make the gospel attractive to those who will believe. Well, today we're going to see the caution that is necessary, the, the caution that we need to exercise as we deal with people who are hostile to the gospel. So let's see what God has for us today in his word. It, it's in Matthew, not, uh, Matthew 10. We're going to read verses 16 through 23. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Lord God, we thank you that we can read your word today. We thank you for the freedom to come here today and and open up Bibles. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus is coming again. We thank you for that assurance. We thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be anxious as we encounter persecution about what we might need to say. Thank you, Lord, that your Spirit will speak through us. Thank you, Lord, that you are the one who sends us. And thank you, Lord, that you give us a realistic picture of what that's going to look like. And we pray, Lord, as we, as we look at this now, as we, as we study these verses, as we consider their implications in our lives, we pray, Lord, that you would do a work in us by your Spirit, through your Word, make us the people you want us to be. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the big news this week... Big news this week that, that was really captivating the, the world was this story of the Chilean miners that were rescued, these 33 men that had been underground for 69 days, 2,041 feet below the surface. They were under 700,000 tons of rock that had uh, collapsed in this gold and copper mine which they were working, and they were trapped for 69 days. It's the longest anyone has ever been trapped underground and survived. And 33 of them, all 33 of them did. It was a a story of amazing endurance, a a story of amazing unity. And and, uh, what was amazing was how how the, the 
the rescue effort was so meticulously planned all the way through uh, to ensure a, a proper and, and, and victorious rescue. Um, the entire operation, you know, really required extreme caution at many points. First, what they had to do is, is drill this shaft down, this small shaft, to, to be able to even make some contact. And then they started putting supplies through. They put food and, and, and water and medicine and even cots and other, some of, even some comforts of home went down through that little chute. And they were able to have uh, uh, some contact and, and know what was going on. But then for 33 days, they had to drill this, this, hu- this well, it wasn't huge. It was 23 inches in diameter, but it was a, a, uh, a, sh- a rescue shaft. And um, they, they had to dig it wide enough uh, for, for this, the Phoenix capsule, to, which had a sticking door at times, and uh, sometimes would get a little bit stuck. But they, 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 we're going to put it down there and then bring the guys up one by one in this capsule, as many of you saw probably on, on, on the news how, how this was going on, and it was, it was really exciting and, and all that. But, but there was the caution with which they had to do what they did was, was, um, was significant. And um, when it came time to rescue everyone, it, they all came up alive. It was, a, it was an amazing story. It was kind of the, the feel-good story of, of the week. Um, the first man up was um, the second in command of the miners. I'm not sure how they chose... Who got to go first, you know, and what order they were in. But uh, this guy's name was Fl- Florencio Avalos. And um, first thing he did was hug his seven-year-old son and, and his wife. And, um, and, then, and then he hugged the, the Chilean president. He got to do that as well. And uh, the last man up, though, was, was the foreman, the guy that, was, that really kind of kept them together, Luis uh, Urzua. And uh, he was the shift commander at the time of the accident. And, and he... It really displayed all, all whatever leadership characteristics he had he he was displaying those and and really mustering up a lot of wisdom and leadership and he was able to stretch an emergency food supply that was supposed to last 48 hours and it lasted 17 days every other day they took a little sip of milk and a few uh, bites of tuna and uh, he was able to get them to work together and ration out and then ration out that food and and in fact he he was quoted as saying i thank god that he allowed us to not devour all the food quickly because that could have been gone, you know, in the first day or two. So it was, it was a pretty amazing thing. And under his leadership, he, he, he helped them to get through this and to keep calm. And, you know, these men, every, every day they would risk their lives to go underground. They knew where they were working. They, they weren't under any, any um, false pretenses. They knew they were working underground in a mine in a life-threatening situation. And they did all that for $1,600 a month. And um, they, they, but they were not quite prepared for what happened on, uh, on August, I believe it was August 5th, and um, the trouble they encountered. If you think about the trouble that we encounter, we don't plan it. We don't know when it's going to hit. You know, living in California, you don't know when an earthquake's going to hit, right? Um, in Matthew 10, and we've been studying through this, um, Jesus, first of all, gave some travel instructions to his apostles to to, to the 12. And, but now what we see and what we just read was that he is giving them trouble instructions. What to do when the inevitable trouble strikes. He wants them to be prepared because this trouble is going to test and prove and reveal not only their compassion, not only their calling, not only their character, but a lot of other things. And, and 
And basically, if you think about it, it's, this, is, this is kind of like, here is what to do when, when trouble comes. Here's how to respond. Here's, here's, how, to, here's how to act. Here, here's what to do. And, and, and I will just say this before we look at these verses. God wants us to be cautious as, as we live as Christians in a hostile world. He wants us to exercise extreme caution as we both live and attempt to give the gospel. Because there's going to be a lot of people that don't want to hear that message. And he doesn't want us to be surprised. He doesn't want us to be anxious. He doesn't want us to be um, thinking that the plan has been somehow foiled when, when persecution comes. But what he wants us to do is, is to, to endure, to, to go through it. And knowing that, that in Christ our present needs will be supplied, knowing that in Christ our future is totally secure. You think about those miners, uh, they were not assured of rescue. We are. But Jesus is warning about dangers and he promises to help so they would respond appropriately to the persecution. And it starts really with this mindset that you see, and we looked at last week in verse 16. This mindset of being um, known that you're being sent uh, as sheep in the midst of wolves that Jesus had kind of flipped the metaphor on its ear a bit when he had, he had looked at these people and he'd seen the people as shepherdless sheep because they had been harassed and they were helpless. Now he's calling his disciples, his apostles, his followers sheep, but he's, he's contrasting them with wolves that are out there that are going to try to destroy the flock. And he's basically telling them, I am sending you like this. You are like sheep in the, pack, in the midst of a pack of wolves. So what he tells them, and he, the, the, the character that he's in, 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 uh, expecting from them is to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That it starts with this mindset that is both wary and wise. It is, it is cautiously compassionate. It is humble and bold. He says in verse 16, behold. And, and, and as you know, what this means is observe this carefully. Listen uh, see for yourself, don't miss this, look at this, pay attention to it. And he's saying that the overall character of a Christ-centered follower in a hostile world is that like sheep in the, in the midst of a pack of wolves. And it ties into that reference. And they were really to exhibit street smarts uh, without stu- stupidity and without compromise. They were to be innocent and pure as well as boldly aware of their surroundings, of what was going on, of the nature of man and what might happen as a result of going with the gospel. They were to be shrewd yet full of integrity. They were, uh, and by the way, Jesus was asking for an uncommon combo. These are not things that usually go together uh, for, for us. But Jesus is expecting it and he's going to enable it. And he, and he wants them to be wise. He wants them to be wary. He wants them to also be trusting. He wants them to be engaged but not led astray. He wants them to be not so wary that they disengage. Uh, taking caution to the extreme of isolation. He doesn't want them to be so accepting that they take kindness to the extreme of gullibility. He's calling for discerning engagement. And, and verse 16 ties what goes before to what comes after. Now, remember with me that in, in verses 5 through 15, Jesus is dealing with the short-term, their short-term mission to Israel during the time of his earthly ministry. What we see today, though, in verses uh, 17 through 23 is Jesus giving instructions for the long-term mission throughout the world until Christ returns. 
It reaches past the crucifixion and the resurrection and the ascension into the first century church and beyond all the way to us today and beyond until Christ returns. So verse 16 is who to be and in a way what to do. But verses 17 through 23 is, okay, here's how. Here's what it looks like to do that. And, and this passage we're looking at today, really, I, I see it containing three assurances from Jesus. Now, the first is a little bit startling because you, you always think of assurances in the positive, but the first is somewhat of a negative assurance with a positive twist. But I believe that there are three assurances here that illustrate what Jesus means in verse 16. And so let's, let's just go through those. The first is that you will be persecuted. You will be, I'm, I'm setting you as sheep in the midst of doves. Uh, excuse me, uh, sheep in the midst of wolves. Uh, doves would not hurt you that much, I, I, I assure you. Um, it could have been mean, angry doves, but uh, he's sh- saying them as sheep in the midst of wolves. And he's saying, don't be surprised because persecution will come. It's just a part of, of, of the picture. Look with me at verse 17. As verse 16 began, behold, look, watch, don't miss it. Verse 17 begins, beware. There's like a big sign at the beginning of verse 17. Watch out. It literally means hold your mind away from them, these wolves. For they will deliver you because they will deliver you over to courts And they will flog you in their synagogues. No one likes to be flogged. They were to be wary of people and expect some kind of opposition to the gospel. Now think with me for a moment of the worst rejection that Jesus had said so far that would happen. And it was a lack of a proper welcome. They may not welcome you. They they may not accept your message, so shake the dust off your feet. Somewhat innocuous. Not that, you know, big of a deal. Maybe it kind of hurts your feelings, even though it's not you they're rejecting, but... Uh, now Jesus is getting into, into some bigger things that actually are going to hurt, even physically. Okay? And um, he says that, they, that some of them, well, they, that they're going to experience blatant hostility, but some of them are going to be um, arrested. Okay? Now, hand over, basically it literally means betrayed. It's the same word used in verse 4 when we say that Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus, he handed him over to the authorities. He pointed him out in a crowd and said, that's the one. And so uh, some are going to be, they're going to be betrayed even by their, their own. And they were going to be brought before Jewish courts. Now that might not sound so, so tough, right? Well, uh, they, they made it tough. <laughs> uh, it was the councils, literally the Sanhedrins. And it refers to the local courts in every Jewish town. And there was uh, one in every in every Jewish town, and there were a lot of Jewish towns, and they would be they would be brought to these courts, and they would be flogged in the synagogues, which sounds kind of weird if you know what a synagogue was for. A synagogue was a place for worship, and and in a place of worship, there it's like if you you know it's like uh, by the way they're going to flog you at church, you know, in front of everyone. Now that's that's weird. Okay, uh, it sounds weird, but they're going to be flogged. Some of them will be flogged in the synagogues, and. And, and there were, again, there was a synagogue in every town of any size and where Jews lived. And flogging uh, is, is really an old-fashioned way of saying giving a beating, uh, whipping, getting whipped. And it was, 
It was actually prescribed in the Old Testament as a punishment for various sins. You can see it in Deuteronomy 25, 1 through 3. But the Jews took it to an extreme, and they they, they came up with a very elaborate process uh, with which to dispense this justice. And um, they they would, three of the the judges would make a, a decision. One of them, the administrator of the of the synagogue would stand on a stone and he would administer, he would have the, the victim take their, their shirt off and he would administer a third of the, the, the blows to the chest and two-thirds to the back. And they were to give 40 of these. And um, you'll, you probably remember in the, in the New Testament, if you're familiar with, with the book of Acts, that Paul was, um, I believe, nine times uh, given 39 lashes. And the idea is that they would stop short of 40 just in case they miscounted. Now, you'd want a good counter to do this. The, second, the first person would administer the beating. The second person would count. The third person would read from the Bible and, and basically let them know that they were receiving God's retribution on their sins. Now, that wasn't true, but that's what they were doing. It kind of added insult to injury. And... Um, that's what would happen. And so Jesus said, some of, this is going to happen to you. We know it did. We know it did happen to some of Christ's followers. Um, but run-ins with the Jews was not the only thing that they were going to uh, need to be wary of. They would also face Roman law, which was far worse. And therefore, they'd be brought before Gentile officials as well. And in verse 18, you see that. You will be dragged before governors. Now, remember what reason this was going to happen. You're going to be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. For my sake. Um, and, and, and later on, he talks about for my name's sake. And, and this is going to be bearing witness, basically bearing witness to who Jesus is. The whole idea was wrapped up in your allegiance, who your trust and allegiance was in. And so for the sake of the name, for Jesus' sake, meant that your allegiance was fully with Jesus. And therefore, because you were in line with him, you would be either arrested or flogged or dragged and, and so, so on and so forth. And um, they, so they would, they would be brought before them. And, and, and it was a terrifying thing to be brought before Gentile rulers in those days. If you could imagine what it would be like to uh, be brought before uh, local authorities. Let's say, let's say you're arrested and brought to the police station and then to a court and all that. And think about how terrifying that would be. This is, was far, far worse because it, the Roman officials held in their hands your life or death. And so this was a terrifying thing for them. In fact, Jesus says that because you are associated with me on account of me, you're going to suffer. It's going to be for my sake. Suffering for the gospel. Now, this is something we've got to remember. Many of us suffer for our own sins. But Jesus is talking about suffering not for your own sins, but for a good thing. And 1 Peter tells us a little bit about this. 1 Peter. It talks about suffering for what is doing good rather than for what, doing evil. Uh, 1 Peter 3 and verse 17, it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. And Jesus is saying that for some of his followers, it would be the will of God for them to suffer for doing good. So these floggings, beatings, uh, arrests, uh, being called to account before courts even, 
was for doing what is good. Now, we've got to keep that in our minds because we instantly think of a punishment getting administered because of something we did wrong. This is not the case for them. And, and the reason there to, to go ahead and, and, and accept that is because Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. And so they're not to be surprised. In fact, in fact, in, in 1 Peter 4, in verse 12, here's what it says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. See, here's the thing. There's a lot of times we could give people the wrong impression about what it means to be a Christian. We give people the impression that if you, if you accept Christ, you know, and it's kind of like we feel like we're salesmen or something. We have to give them this great deal and, you know, like the Ginsu knife salesman, you know, and you keep bringing out more benefits, you know. But there's more. Wait, there's more. And, and if you accept Christ, you know, everything's going to be good in your life and, and you're never going to experience problems and, and this and that. And that's just not the case. There's a lot of amazing, great, wonderful, eternally significant things when you come to know Christ, but there are also some temporary things that are pretty tough to handle. So we've got we've to preach a, a realistic gospel. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you as something strange. Oh, they forgot. Oh, that was in the fine print. No, Jesus isn't putting it in the fine print or on page 23. It's right there at the beginning of the call. This is going to happen. I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ready. That's why he says in verse 17, beware. Beware of men. Don't trust everyone. Because not everyone can be trusted. Jesus says that you will be, you'll be uh, suffering on account of your association with me and it will be a testimony to them. Now, we like to use the word testimony in Christian circles, and we even, we even you know, have little classes and seminars to, make up your, to get your testimony all ready, and, and it's, it's a good thing. But I don't know if a lot of people realize that the word testimony here is the Greek word marturion, which is where we get our English word martyr. It, it means a witness, but it's a witness that might lose their life. Now, Jesus calls us to lay down our lives either way but you're making a declaration that confirms or makes known the testimony of Jesus Christ in your life it's based on first-hand knowledge and information that corresponds to reality it's not made up it's not false testimony it's an accurate representation of what God did what he has done it's the gospel being preached as a narration of actual and practical truth the facts are declared. Here is what happened in my life due to the grace of God in Christ. Here is what God did in history. The cross. You know, you don't want your... It's not even a, a biblical testimony to have it all be about you. That's your story. You can write a story if you want, but if it's about, it's about Jesus, center it on Jesus then. What did Christ do in history? You got to put the cross. And what did he do in your life? How did he save you? And what is he doing in your life right now? How is he growing you and, and leading you and, and sanctifying you? But I'll tell you, every believer, every true believer has a story to tell. Now, I realize some, some believers don't want to tell that story because, ooh, it's scary. Well, you know what's scarier? is not telling that story and having somebody go to hell. We've got to tell that story. And Jesus is saying, all these things are going to happen to you 
so that you will bear witness before them, that you will give testimony. And it's, it's, the, it's the word for a martyr. So the first assurance is that you will be persecuted. Don't be surprised. Do not be surprised. The second assurance is that the Spirit's going to help you. You're going to be persecuted, but the Spirit's going to help you. Don't be anxious. The Spirit will help. Therefore, trust God. You don't need to be worrying about defending yourself. Verse 19 says, when they deliver you over. Notice it doesn't say if. It says when they do this. You don't need to worry. Notice he says, don't be anxious. And, And do not be anxious. He is prohibiting something that they would naturally be inclined to do. They would be inclined, they would be tempted to to be very anxious and worried. And he is telling them, don't do it. Don't don't go there. Don't worry about what you're going to say, what you're going to speak. And again, making a a defense before Jewish kings or pagan governors was a huge ordeal for humble folks. And it indicates um, that there was no time or freedom to to prepare anything to say. This was going to come upon them suddenly. and, And he says, don't be anxious. You're going to get what you're supposed to have right then, in that hour, at that moment, at the point of need. It's like the you know, fuel injection. It's like turbo boost. It's, you, you're going to get what you need, and, and God's going to give it to you. See, here's the interesting thing, too. Jesus is giving these instructions to people who are going to preach. Preach. Preach the gospel. They're going to do other things that Jesus was doing. He, they were going to do things that they couldn't do on their own. And Jesus is telling them, so don't be anxious when this happens, when, when this persecution comes, because remember, it's my work. I'm sending you. I chose you. I called you. And I'm going to give you exactly what you need. Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. He takes us from start to finish. There's a lot of choices we make along the way, but one of them is don't be anxious. And Jesus says to, to, to not be anxious. And he's giving these instructions to those who are going to preach, but this is not about preparing sermons. I could not say, and by the way, I was at the men's retreat yesterday, and so I had other things going on, and usually Saturdays are more focused on final preparation for, for a sermon. And, and, um, and I, could have, you know, I could have said, well, you know, I had so many other things going on this week. I'm just going to trust, because right here, you know, it says, in, um, it says right here that in, uh, in Matthew 10, 19, that uh, I don't have to be anxious about what I'm going to say because the Spirit's going to give it to me, so I'm going to just not prepare and just trust the Lord. That's misuse of Scripture. You don't want, you don't want me up here doing that, okay? Um, here's the thing. A lot, of, um, a lot of people who preach have misquoted and misused this, this verse as an excuse for lack of preparation. And it sounds really spiritual, but it doesn't jive with the rest of Scripture that says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. Uh, Study to show yourself approved unto God as a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightfully dividing the word of truth. Um, Using this verse as a proof text for avoiding careful study and preparation for normal preaching and teaching ministries violates the context of this verse. But I will tell you this, here's what we need to take out of this verse. Here's what you need to take out of it. That, that with, apart from the, the power of the Spirit of God, nothing of eternal value will happen in any situation. But Jesus says, don't be anxious. 
Think about those Chilean miners. One of the fears in the rescue effort, and I thought this was kind of humorous, but uh, after the fact, of course, uh, what I thought was humorous was that as the miners were being pulled out, the rescuers, as they were planning out the the rescue, they were afraid that the miners were going to have panic attacks. Now I'm thinking, if you're going to have one, wouldn't you have one, you know, during the 69 days or many of them during the 69 days? So I'm thinking... You know, if that's all they're worried about, hey, I think those guys are, are, are over that now, you know. I mean, they're, they're underground, and now they're going up, and, you know, they will be confined, but haven't they been confined for 69 days? Uh, so I thought that was kind of funny. But the thing that they did is they, they said, we're not going to sedate them. We're not going to give them any medication to calm them down uh, because they need to be alert and cautious if something might happen on, on the way up. And so um, they, they had to trust. They had to get into the Phoenix capsule. By the way, some of them were too large to fit into the Phoenix capsule several months ago. And uh, now, obviously, we know none of them are too large anymore. They, they had a workout. That some guys would run like five miles a day down there to lose weight in order to get into the capsule. And when they got in there, they, uh, they had to trust. Well, think about what it's like for us. We've got to trust God, or we will be anxious. If you deal with anxiety, you're not trusting God. If I deal with anxiety, I'm not trusting God in that moment. Now, that's not to beat you up. It's not to beat myself up. That's to say, trust God rather than being anxious. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Make your requests known to God. The peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, To be anxious is not to trust, but to trust is to not be anxious. Verse 20, Jesus says, um, by the way, it's not you who speaks. Remember, don't be worried about what you're going to say because it's going to be given to you, but it's not going to be you who speaks. It will be the Spirit of your Father, the Holy Spirit, speaking through you. Praise God that God would do that. This is... um, this is the giving of special power for a, a special situation. And at the moment of persecution, they were not to worry about their words. They were not, you shouldn't worry about your words in a moment of persecution. God will give you the words. Think about Stephen in the book of Acts, and, and he was being stoned. He was killed for his faith in Christ, and he preached a pretty awesome sermon. That was given to him by the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Because it's in the Bible. Second assurance is, don't be anxious. The Spirit's going to help you. The third assurance is that Jesus says, I'm coming back. Therefore, all all is going to be well. Be assured as you patiently endure, Jesus is going to return. You can expect there will be hostility, not only from civil and religious authorities, but even from unsafe family members, Jesus says. Look at verse 21. Brother will deliver brother over to death. A father, his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. That's in the context of people who reject the gospel will, will, will betray those who accept it. They will be put to death. Deceived people will do desperate things. And in verse 22, it tells us that you will be hated by all on account of my name, for my name's sake. Now we've got to think about this for a moment. You could say, well, what? You mean every single person in the whole world is going to hate me? Well, of course not. I mean, 
All the believers are going to love you. Well, some, most believers will probably, most believers you know, you hope love you. Uh, but here's the thing. What this means is it's not all people without exception. It's all people without distinction. The idea is this. It's not every single person that's ever lived is going to hate you. It's people of all t- sorts and kinds and types will hate you. The gospel is going to go to every nation and tongue and language. So people from every nation, tongue, and language who, re- who, uh, who reject the gospel will hate you. And by the way, hated here is in, a, in a, a certain tense in the Greek that indicates it will go on and on through the ages until Christ returns. So what we experience now as a result of hostility towards the gospel is the same root hostility that was being shown in those days to the gospel. We're in good company. Jesus says the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, uh, what endure here means remain under. And he says the one who has endured to the end will be saved. This is not enduring to earn salvation. This is endurance that shows the salvation is real. This is evidence of true saving faith. The perseverance of the saints is evidence of true saving faith. Now, I said before, but the Chilean miners had absolutely no assurance that they would be saved. There was no assurance as they were bringing up man number one, that man number two and all the rest would get out of there alive. The tunnel may have collapsed. It didn't, but it could have. Uh, but we do have assurance. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, God says. Physical death cannot touch the child of God in an ultimate way. And so Jesus wants us to be wise, not foolish. And what he says in verse 23 is important for us to remember. If you can get out of it, get out of it. Verse 23 says, When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Run! Run for your lives! Run, Forrest, run! Go! Don't stay there and get beat up if you can get out of it. The idea that Jesus is putting forth to us is expect persecution, but don't instigate it, and don't stay in it if you're, if you're free to leave. The flip side of encouraging bold testimony under persecution where there is no alternative is the instruction to flee hostility whenever possible. And it doesn't make you a coward. Jesus said to do it. Jesus calls us to bravery, but not foolishness. We must not seek persecution. We must not ask for it. Escape it when you can. And and it's kind of along these lines. A living witness can preach more than a dead one. Now, I realize that many martyrs, uh, their stories inspire many, but... If you're alive, you can preach the gospel. If you're dead, you're with Jesus. An amazing thing. Uh, Jesus then says this, Truly, I say to you, verse 23, Truly, I say to you, you will not finish going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Now, if there's a hard saying in this passage, and there are several, this is it. There are no less than seven or eight views of, of what this verse means and what does it mean that the, before the Son of Man comes. And, but let's just look at the sentence first. What it means is, for truly I say to you, you will certainly not 
There's a strong emphasis here. There's an emphatic negative. No way will you finish going through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And Jesus is talking about himself. He's saying, you're not going to be done before I get back. But what's the get back? It's, it's definitely a future event, but how far into the future is the question. There are, again, so many different views, but it ranges from Jesus catching up to them in Galilee right away, to the transfiguration, to the coming of the Spirit of Pentecost, to the second coming of Christ. And it seems that the context makes most sense to say that it's Jesus second coming and or even the idea of him coming in judgment upon the unbelieving jews at the end of the age but jesus starts the sentence by saying truly i say to you now this is three times in chapter 10 you see this truly i say to you and jesus is basically praying backwards here he's starting a sentence amen truly amen i say to you amen i say to you and what he's doing is giving a word of, of assurance He's telling them something that's going to happen, and it's an assured thing. He gave it back in verse 15 to let them know that when when they shook off the dust from their feet, they weren't being intolerant, they weren't being hateful, as some may accuse them of being. They were speaking truth from God. Here the assurance means that Jesus will stay true to his word, though all hell breaks loose. Now, I'm not sure where you are today, what your situation is, but there are a lot of things but what issues you're grappling with, what persecution you're enduring, what pain you're carrying. But let me just say this. Jesus will rescue you. If you're a believer, Jesus will rescue you and he will make all things right. He will do that. Therefore, we can be humble and bold about going about living and giving the gospel. Now, I think it's awesome that Jesus is putting a positive spin on negative things here because he has good things in store for his people no matter what comes and and because he makes the wrath of man to praise him and that he works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose and that God makes beauty out of ugly things so you notice the negative words perpetuated by sinful humans deliver drag flog hate death persecute And this is what a Christ-centered person in a hostile world can expect. And the positive, the good things that God will bring about, for my sake, bear witness, endure, be saved, the Son of Man coming again. So the idea, we talked last week about a road trip, the road trip is on here, and trouble's going to come, and victory is assured, and, and what will you do when it comes? And, and, and will you panic? Will you try to defend yourself? Or will you rely upon the Spirit and patiently endure? And I want to mention that this is not about dealing with difficult people in the church. There's other passages of Scripture that deal with that. This is about how to deal with persecution for the sake of the gospel. Now think about the miners for a moment. Think about those Chilean miners. Did they, did they all work together? Of course they did. They would have died. They would have killed themselves, each other probably, if they, if they hadn't. Um, they had to survive. Do you think they might have argued? Well, in 69 days, I'm sure that they did. But their common mission overcame and overruled any issues they might have faced. We'll find out the story later when the book and the movie comes out, right? But the mission was bigger than them, And every Christian needs to respond to persecution the way that Jesus says we're to respond to persecution. 
fact, look with me at these three assurances as we close here. Look with me at these three assurances once again. First of all, persecution is a part of the program. So we need to have realistic expectations. In light of the assurance that persecution will come, don't lie to yourself and others by telling them that life will be easy. When you follow Jesus, expect it. Don't instigate it. Think about this. The miners had 17 days before any contact. No hope at that point. They began to ration the food and all that, but um, it looked bleak, but they did what they could. We have got the, the end of the story sitting right here in our hands. Uh, we ought to be in a much better situation. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. The church grows most when it is persecuted. Think about when they kicked uh, the missionaries out of, out of China. Went back in and, and the church had grown exponentially. The church grows in the midst of persecution. Uh, persecution can happen in many ways. You know, it, no matter how, how old you are, how young you are, it can happen at school. It can happen on a soccer field. It can happen in a boardroom. It can happen in a neighborhood. It can happen in a supermarket. It can happen wherever you live and, and give the gospel. So kids and youth and adults, everyone, it, persecution can touch all of us. And it might not look exactly like Jesus told his apostles it was going to look for them. But the hostility to the gospel will be there, is there, and it's going to be put forth towards us, and we're not the enemy. It's not us, it's Jesus to them. Because we represent Jesus to them. It's for his sake. It's for his name. So we need to have realistic expectations. The second thing is the Spirit will help us. Therefore, we need to have unshakable faith. See, there are internal and external things going on all the time. Beneath the service that, that show, the internal things go on beneath the service and they show outwardly, they give evidence of the inward realities. Internally, we, we need faith as a gift from God that we don't manufacture or fabricate on our own, um, and it, but it's evidenced by action. So externally, we show our faith through our actions. James chapter 2 uh, tells about that. You know, the mugs, if you're brand new today, we're going to give you a mug when you leave. You know, it's got filled with all sorts of goodies. But on that mug, it says, it says, uh, it says, Grace Church, a place to grow in faith. And the thing is, God gives us faith as a gift. But then as we link together with fellow believers, working together as a team, and we get into the word and we pray and we fellowship and we reach out together, we have opportunity to grow in faith as God works in us and through us. So true belief, true, true belief in, in Christ works because it depends on him, not us. We're to contend earnestly for the faith once given. We're to resist the devil and be firm in our faith. And all that, we're to take up the shield of faith with which to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Soldiers in those days would literally uh, soak their leather shields in water so that when the fiery, literally fiery arrows would get shot at them, the, fire, the, the, the water would put the fire out. And, and we're, to, we're to exercise faith that, that cannot be shaken. And it can't be shaken because we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken based upon Christ, not us. The last thing is that that, that assurance that Jesus is coming back is over, overrides everything. That then we can have confident hope. You know, then we can have steadfast, patient endurance. And sometimes our, our confidence gets shaken. It happens in a lot of areas of life. Some of you, you're con- you don't have a lot of confidence right now and you, you've, you've, you've lost that for some reason and it comes through various struggles comes through various defeats 
But our confidence is not to be in ourselves, but in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and sometimes that ongoing conversation we have with ourselves uh, almost hits at the root of our confidence in Christ. We, we say things to ourselves that are not biblical. I'm, I'm no good. I, 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 uh, I'm never going to amount to anything. I, I can't deal with problems and persecutions. It's no use. All is lost and all that. And all I would say is, no. No. You should tell yourself, no. We are more than conquerors through Christ. So you've got to tell yourself the truth. Don't tell yourself lies. Lies and accusation come from the devil. Truth comes from God. And, and I will say this, that uh, it, you know, we aren't just holding out hope that we might be rescued someday. That's what the miners were doing. Holding out hope. The idea for us is hope, hope is holding on to us. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 6, it says we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Jesus is coming back. Let's pray. Lord God, we, we thank you, Lord, that you're coming back and, and no one here knows the day or hour. And we know that sometimes we, we live and act as if we don't believe that truth. Otherwise, we'd come to faith. Otherwise, we'd get our lives on track. Otherwise, we'd set things straight. But Lord, we know that it, it, will, it will be sooner than any of us think. And Lord, I, I think of those miners, and I, I'm sure that none of them said when it was time to get in the caps or, hey, hey can you come back later? I, I, I have more stuff I need to do. Um, they, we know they jumped at the chance to get in that tube that took them up. And they knew the mine was not their true home, and they have another dwelling. And Lord, we know that, that this world is not our true home, that we are, we are citizens in heaven, of heaven. And so we go with the gospel in obedience to you, with a message of your love for all sorts of people. And we know, Lord, that some will be opposed to your message. And we know that some will respond favorably. And so we go in obedience, Lord. We don't go blindly, but we go with your grace and truth. And we pray, Lord, that as your truth governs our perspective and your grace holds everything up, we we trust in the finished work of Christ on the cross to be victorious. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.